Um, I, well, I come in to let's have a cup of tea. And she's like, right, let's do the washing. Let's, uh, let's do the hoovering. So, you know, you can, you can kind of self, self, you can assess yourself and see which side of the line you fall on. Um, and I think this, 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 should we call it traditional way of interpreting this story in terms of, you know, we're busy, but we've got to make time to have quiet times. It's, it's an excuse really for lazy people like me to say, do you know what? I'll put off doing that job and I'll just have sit down and play my guitar for a bit. Um, so it can be an excuse for lazy people, but it all, but it also, I think, makes the, the Marthas among us feel guilty. And you know, people feel guilty about, oh, I've got lots of jobs to do. I'm busy, but, you know, I, I know I should be, I should be, you know, having a quiet time, but, you know, I've got lots of jobs going around in my head. And I, and I think that's unfair. I don't think this, this, um, story is there to make those of us who are more task oriented feel guilty. And it's not there to make us feel guilty about doing fun things, you know, that, this sense that, um, actually, I like to play football, but if I was really spiritual, I'd, you know, I'd stay home and pray. You know, for an extra, I'd like, you know, I want it, I, I like to watch the rugby on telly, but if I was really spiritual, I, I, you know, if you interpret this, this parable that way, and saying actually there's, spending time with God is more holy, more important than doing stuff, then that's what you end up with. You end up with this kind of view of life in general as, um, um, as less important, less holy, less God glorifying than, um, you know, praying, and spending time with God. And that is not a biblical way to understand the world. And it's really important for us uh, to see that. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that, So, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God in Christ for you. Glorifying God in everything we do isn't about a perpetual quiet time. It's about learning to live life in a way that's focused on Jesus. Whatever we're doing, um, we can we should be glorifying God, bringing Him glory, even line dancing or the you know the Kaylee, even do, you know at the Kaylee when we're doing that funny line dancing, we we can glorify God. We can do it in a way that brings Him honor. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have quiet times. Um, you know, Jesus did. Jesus slipped away to pray on his own on the mountain. And he tells us to do that in Matthew 6, doesn't he? He says, you know, lock yourself away in a secret place and pray. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that. I'm just saying that um, we need to have balance. And actually, if you take the logical conclusion of, you know, if we were really holy, we'd spend more time in, in a quiet time. If you take that to its logical conclusion, you end up like... Um, this guy, Simeon of Stylites, this monk who lived on a pillar, on a platform on a pillar, for 37 years, in the, I think it was the 5th century. Um, and he decided that he, he, people kept coming to him and asking him to pray for them and um, asking for his advice. And he, and he decided this was distracting him from what was, you know, his devotion to God. So he decided to climb up a pillar, I think it was 15 metres tall, according to Wikipedia, uh, that reliable source, but he um, and and to um, and and for 37 years um, he you know he devote he you know was able to pray and seek God on the top of a pillar, and the poor people that came to see him and needed prayer, you know they just you know had to had to lump it, 
And, you know, that's the logical conclusion of this idea that, you know, there's, 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 there's a holy time with God in the secret place, and then there's the rest of life. And that's not a biblical worldview. And Jesus gives us an example of balance. This is what he says about doing stuff. This is what he says about, you know, doing the work of God, get, being out there with the people, healing people, meeting with people, hanging out with his friends. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent, who sent me and to accomplish his work. So Jesus is saying there's no competition between the quiet time and the public place. Where, um, even when he's serving, even when he's giving out, um, even when he's working hard, he's actually being nourished, he's actually being fed, he's actually being fueled by the Holy Spirit. And this is what we're going to see from the story of Martha. That actually there's a way of serving which glorifies the Father and, and actually feeds us as we, as we serve, nourishes us, builds us up, strengthens us. And there's a way of serving that actually dishonours God. And, and not only dishonours God, but it wears us down wears us out, stresses us out. And that's what we see in this story. And the reason why I just, I just, I mean, I felt the Holy Spirit impressed this on me, um, several months ago, but I feel it's a, um, a relevant message for us now, um, at this kind of stage of growth where really we're at the point of where we're starting to grow and the Jubilee vision, if you like, that we've talked about for the last year or so is becoming Jubilee action. Um, that vision for freedom, that vision to, for celebration, for justice. We, I mean, we've always said since the outset that we wanted a vision that was too big for us to achieve ourselves, that God had to be involved to make it happen. God had to be involved for the, you know, um, uh, for, for the vision to come to fruition. Um, it can't, can't be something that we can achieve ourselves because that's not good enough. That's not, that's not big enough. But the Jubilee vision, I really believe, will kill us. It will, it will, it will grind us down if we're not, if we're not doing it in God's strength, if we're not doing it, um, in His power, if we, if we try and do it in our own strength. And as elders, we can't ask you to do it unless we're confident that we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, um, we're released by Him, and we're not, um, we're not wearing ourselves out and stressing ourselves, um, out. So, okay, let's get to the story, shall we? Um, if, if you've got a Bible, or a Bible on an iPad or a phone, or whatever you have, then um, turn to Luke chapter ten thirty-eight, and I'll read it. It says, uh, Now, as they went on their way, talking about Jesus and his disciples and the people following him, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much um, serving. And before we join the kind of criticism of get on the bandwagon and join the criticism of poor old Martha and accuse her of being a stressy Bessie and point fingers, um, we need to kind of consider what she's distracted with. You've got Jesus, he's turned up in town um, and you know that would be an event. Any visitor would be an event in a, in a village, um, and they, prob- they probably knew that he was on his way um, because I don't, uh, in Luke, the start of Luke ten, Jesus sends out seventy two um, of his disciples. He sends them out ahead of where he's going. So I think Mary and Martha and, and Lazarus probably knew that Jesus was on his way, but they wouldn't have known when he was coming because you know 
it didn't work like that. He didn't set times and appointments. They just knew that he was on his way. And then suddenly Jesus turns up. So you've got Jesus, you've got his 12 disciples, the 72 who, who, we, who we're told just before this have come back to Jesus and reported all that happened. Um, you've got others as well. In an, you know, if, you're, if you're having a party in, in a kind of Eastern culture, you probably invite your neighbours. Um, there's a group of women that that's, we're told is following Jesus. So you've got at least maybe a hundred people and uh, you know Mary is opening her house to a group not we often picture it's just Jesus maybe his 12 disciples as well um, but it's mainly Jesus but actually you know you've got a hundred people at you know at least um, and Mary and Martha is opening her home to these guys and um, you know she's going to feed them and look after them host them I mean it's, you know, there's probably, I don't know how many of us there are here, 50, 60 of us, but it's like saying, let's, everyone back to mine for tea after this. Everyone back to mine. There's no roast in the oven. They, you know, she wasn't prepared. She, they, you know, she hadn't, there's no Tesco's Express on the corner that she can run and get some kind of pre-prepared pasta. She's opening her home. She's taking, she's biting off quite a lot, really. She's saying, come on in. I'm going to cook for you. I'm going to look after you. And she's got to do it all from scratch. And there's that story in Genesis where, um, the Lord and, and some angels turn up um, at Abraham's tent and he says, stay, I'm going to cook you some dinner. And then he runs off and he says to his wife, quick, get some flour, make some bread. And he says to one of his servants, kill an animal. And so, but, you know, it, it's not prepackaged meat. They've got, to, they've got to kill the animal. They've got to skin it. They've got to cook it. It's going to take a long time. There's a lot to do. So you can start to understand why Martha um, is starting you know, starting to get stressed. There's so much to do, so much to prepare. Lots of people, you know, trampling around her house that need feeding. Um, and to top it all, you know, she looks across. She's really busy, and her sister Mary isn't even helping. Her sister Mary's just sitting there listening to Jesus. So you can understand, you know, to be fair to Martha and to give her, you know, give her a due. You can understand. Um, you know, why she was a bit stressed. I'm quite laid back, but I think even I would be quite stressed if that was the situation at my house. So she goes to Jesus. This is, this is, um, this is how she responds. And she says, um, so she says, she went up to him. So it sounds quite forceful to me. She went up to Jesus and she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. That's not the response of someone that's being nourished, is it? That's not the, as they serve, that's not the response of someone that's um, kind of being refueled, um, empowered by the Holy Spirit as they, as they serve. In fact, she's not glorifying Jesus. So we said that actually serving should, should edify us, nourish us and glorify God. And she's not glorifying Jesus in this situation, is she? She's one, she's accusing him of not caring, which is, um, which is a big accusation to make um, to God. And she also starts telling him what to do. She says, Lord, but actually it's just, you know, she doesn't mean it because she starts saying, Lord, do what I say. You know, actually, I'm the boss. I think, I, you know, I'm the Lord. Tell her to help me. Um, and she's also... And this is, this is what I, th- I think is, you know, this is something for us to take note of because it's, it can be particularly divisive and destruct- destructive, um, in the church. It's a natural reaction, but she start, she's comparing herself with Mary. You know, she's not focused on what she needs or what, where she's at. 
She's coming to God and she's complaining about her sister. She's comparing herself with Mary. And, you know, at Jubilee, if we're going to be a church that serves our community, that puts the vision into action, we mustn't let this get a foothold amongst us that, you know, that becomes, that we mustn't become a church where, where, where we compare ourselves to one another. Because it leads to, um, like judgment, judging one another. Um, you know, they're not doing what I'm doing, you know, or why are they, why are they getting this opportunity to lead that group and when we're not, we're better. Or it can, it can lead to the opposite of that. It can, you can put yourself down and say, well, I'm not as good as them and I'll never be as, you know, I'll never be able to do that. And we dismiss the grace of God that's on our lives. I don't know if you've ever read the diary of Captain um, Robert Falcon Scott, you know, who raced to the pole in 1912. Um, you know who I'm talking about, don't you? Blank faces. Yeah, Captain Scott. I, th- I thought they, st- I'm pretty sure we studied him at school. Um, he, he raced to the 12, uh, to the, to the pole in 1912. Um, and actually, they've, they've, they've published his diary online. The, the Scott Polar Research Institute have pu- published his diary online. And it makes interesting reading. And one of the things I found really interesting um, about Scott's diary is, um, pre- just prior to getting to the poll, they're in good spirits. And the tone of the diary is, in, you know, is quite upbeat. And then they get to the poll, and they discover there's a Norwegian flag already there. The Norwegians have beat them to the poll. And all that preparation, all of that, um, you know, all those practice runs, years and years of planning, suddenly, you know, they were second to the poll. And the, the tone of the, the diary drastically changes. And it goes from being upbeat to being quite depressed and sullen. And this is what, this is what, this is what um, Scott writes on the day they get to the poll. The poll. Yes, but under very different circumstances from those expected. We have had a horrible day. We followed the Norwegian sledges tracks for some way. Great God, this is an awful place and terrible enough for us to have laboured to it without reward of priority. You hear the tone there that they've got to the pole, an amazing achievement. And, you know, the second group to get there, okay, but an amazing achievement to get to the pole in 1912. You know, they'd struggled 800 miles across the ice, pulling the, you know, pulling their sledges and because they didn't get there first, because they felt second best to the Norwegians, you know, that achievement just was, went out the window. They couldn't see the, the wood for the trees and they, would, they, they became depressed. And this is even before they, you know, they had trouble getting home, before they, before they got stuck in the bad weather. And we mustn't let comparison with other people rob us of our joy, rob us of the grace that God has for us. There are only two people in this church that you're allowed to compare yourself to. Me and Rob. No, 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 not me and Rob. Some of you are thinking, oh, shame, because I was doing quite well. But I'm um, saying, oh, that's all right. No, there's only two people. There's only two people in this church you can, you can compare yourself to. The first is yourself, your old self. Jesus tells the Ephesian church in Revelation, remember how far you've fallen from. Remember what you used to be and where you've cut, you know, where I've brought you from. You can remember who you used to be because he's, because he's telling them they need to stoke the fire of their love. They've lost that fire of their first love. So, you know, you can remember what you used to be because it, it stokes that fire of love for Jesus to say, thank you, Lord, what you did for me. You know, I could, I couldn't get myself out of where I was, but you saved me, you came, you rescued me, and it causes that fire to burn. So you can compare yourself to your, to your old self. 
And of course you can compare yourself to Jesus. Not in a way to make you feel bad, but that's your destiny. You know, to be transformed into the image of the Son is your, is your destiny da- daily, to be changed into his likeness. And when, it's, when the Bible says, when you see him in heaven, you'll be like him. So that's your destiny, to be conformed into, changed into and the image of Jesus. So you're allowed to compare yourself to Jesus uh, and be excited about the changes that he's, 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 he's having in your life. And there's also Mary, just a quick, quick, I won't go into depth because we're running out of time, but Mary and Martha also, she imposes her own cultural view on Mary. Mary shouldn't be with the men. She shouldn't be sitting at Jesus' feet. I've, I've, I've worked with refugees. I've been for, for, for dinner at their house. And the first time when I was sitting in the lounge with the men and the women come in and give you your food and then go out again, you know, I went to have dinner with this family. Um, it's a bit weird. But that's just the culture, you know, that the women stay in the kitchen, they cook, they bring the food in. The men stay in the, in the, in the dining room, they eat the food and they talk about the world and set the world to rights. Um, and so Martha is looking at Mary saying she's not supposed to be in there. Culturally speaking, she's supposed to be in here. And that's the other thing, we mustn't impose our culture on other people, compare ourselves and say, they're not doing it the way I would do it. So, you know, they're doing it wrong. We have to be careful of that as well. Um. So how does Jesus reply to Martha then? So Martha's come, she's got the hump, she wants Jesus to, um, she wants Jesus to sort the situation, um, according to her, um, the way she wants it, wants it done. And this is Jesus' reply. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And um, I'm reading the ESV, it says the good portion. If you're reading the NIV, it might say um, the be- what, is, what is better. But we'll come back to that in a minute. There's a reason why I wanted to read it in the, in the ESV. Jesus doesn't agree with Martha's assessment of the situation. He doesn't agree with her plan of action. Um, Jesus isn't against cooking dinner for people. He's gone there for dinner, he's, expect, he's expecting dinner, he's probably hungry by, by this point. Um, and he doesn't tell Martha, because you know, if, 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 if this story was to teach us quiet times are more important, he would have said to Martha, leave the cooking, come in here, sit down and listen to my teaching, because that's what you should really be doing, you should be copying Mary. He doesn't tell her to do that either. He tells her that, one thing is necessary. What is that one thing that's necessary? What is the one necessary thing that Martha has missed, that Martha hasn't got, that she needs to get hold of? In Acts, um, oh dear, I've lost my place somehow. In um, in in Acts seventeen, verse twenty-four, Paul was ad- addressing the. Areopagus, which is this kind of group of civic leaders. It's a bit like a parliamentary select committee. And he's telling them about the gospel. He's telling them about Jesus and this God that, that they don't know about. And he says this to them. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Because obviously the Greeks, they thought the gods lived in the temples that they built. But he says, no, they don't live in temples made by man, nor... Is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself 
gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And, the, and this, this is the key. God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Because he's the giver, he's the one that provides all life. And he gives us even our breath. He gives us everything. You, if you serve God, and we are called to serve God, you mustn't do it as if he needs something from you. You mustn't put yourself into the position of the supplier because that dishonours God by inferring that he needs you and needs what you've got. And that's why Peter tells us, and this is 1 Peter 4, verse 11, whoever serves, he's telling the church, um, whoever serves, they should serve as one who serves by the strength of that God supplies. Sorry, I've read that wrong. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus. If you're going to serve, you have to serve with the strength that God supplies. You can't do it in your own strength. If you're going to serve, you have to serve with the strength that God supplies you. And that's grace. That's a continual dependence on him. It's a continuation of the gospel. The gospel says, you know, you're bankrupt, you can't do anything about your predicament, you're in sin, you're lost, you're dead. You can't, you can't, you know, you can't even shout for help. You need a saviour. And Jesus died on the cross, gave up his life, shed his blood, took our place, took our punishment, so that we can be set free, so that we can be called children of God, the righteous for the unrighteous so that we can be called the righteousness of God. That's the gospel. We have nothing to offer, but God did it anyway. He gives us more than we can ask or imagine. And it's the same grace that's at work when we serve in the church, when we serve at home, when we're in our, in our daily lives at work, that we should be living by grace. Because that's how he gets the glory. When we serve um, with the strength that he provides, Peter tells us, it's in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus says, let your light shine before men or before others so that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. Let your light shine so they see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. Um, when, when people see our good deeds, when, it, when it's the grace of God working through us, people see through us, they see God's grace in us, they see um, God at work in us and through us, and they praise our Father in heaven. So Martha is serving Jesus as if he needs something, as if he needs her schedule. She thinks he needs his, her advice on people management. Tell her to do this. Rather than coming humbly and recognising that she needs him, she wants to feed Jesus when um, what she really needs is to be fed by him. And that's, what Mary, that's, where, that's where Mary's at. She's chosen to sit at Jesus' feet and, at feet and be fed. So if you want to serve Jesus, and hopefully we all do, we want to serve in this church, we want to serve our community at home. If you're, if you're a husband, you want to serve your wife. And if you're a parent, you want to serve your kids. You want to serve at work. Wherever you are, um, you have to realise that you don't bring anything to the table. Your ta- even your talent, your person, your personality, your ability, your financial resources, um, 
are a gift to you from God. And that's completely counterculture to, counter-cultural to this idea that, you know, if, you know, you can make it. If you've, if you've got enough grit and determination and you don't give up, you can make it. But actually, Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. All my resources, all my talents, all, everything. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And, and his grace toward me was not in vain. I didn't take it for granted. I've got God's grace. I am what I am, but I'm, I'm not taking it for granted. In, on the contrary, I work harder than any of them. Though not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So Mary chooses the necessary thing. The necessary thing that Martha missed, Mary chooses. It seems unfair because, you know, you want her to help, but actually Jesus says no. She's chosen the necessary thing. Um, and, the, and the Greek, um, it says that, that she's, Jesus says she's chosen, the NIV says the better thing, but... Um, the, the, and the ESV says the good portion. In the Greek, it's, it's the good merida. It means a portion in the sense of being allotted something, being given something. Um, just as the land of Israel was allotted to the people by Joshua, that um, they all got a plot of land. And, you know, you didn't know what you were going to get. You'd, and like David says, the boundaries have fallen for me in pleasant places. You might get a really nice bit of land some nice hills and fertile. Or you might get a dusty bit of mountain. You didn't know what, what was going to be allotted to you. But you got what you were given by God. And it's the same for us. You know, we don't look over and say, I really like Darren's um, meadows over there. You know, I wish I had Darren's meadows. Why have I got this rock? I have to trust that God has given me um, what God ordained to give me for a reason. I can't dismiss that grace on my life. Um, and the people of Israel were told... Three times a year, you've got to bring produce, produce of the land, and you've got to offer it back to me. He says, don't come before me empty-handed, he says, which sounds harsh, but if, if you just stick to that verse, it is harsh. Don't come before me empty-handed. But he, he God clarifies and says, because it's an acknowledgement of what I've given you, you bring it because you're saying, you've blessed me, this is what the land's produced, this is the blessing of God in my life, I'm going to give it back to you to acknowledge that everything I have comes from you. And that's how we have to live, in that place of humility, like Mary. Not trying to organise Jesus, not trying to dictate to him how we think things should be done, but ready for him to supply our needs, to feed us, to nourish us. Um, And Jesus tells Martha that only one thing is necessary, and that's to acknowledge our dependence on God's grace and receive his nourishment. So, do you understand the kids will be getting restless. But I don't know if any of that... You, I don't know if you... Um, you know, if you're a Christian, Jesus says it won't be taken away from her. The good portion won't be taken away from her. And if you're a Christian, your portion can't be taken away from you. It can't be snatched away from you. But I don't know. You might. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're feeling undernourished this morning. Maybe you've worn yourself out, trying hard for Jesus. We used to laugh and have a I cut jokes saying, but we were kind of semi serious when I was when I did a when I did a year team, we'd say burn out for Jesus. Jesus doesn't want us to burn out for him. Um, we don't need to impress him. Maybe maybe there's a call of God on your life and you're about to put it down. Maybe it's just got too heavy to bear and you're you're about to put it down. 
There's grace for you this morning. There's a new way to live that will nourish you, that will bring glory to God because of your dependence on him and it will strengthen you. It's not too heavy. Um, Dan read out this scripture in the worship, but um, I was going to read this out. Come, come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you're feeling stressed, if you're feeling that it's too heavy to bear, if you're feeling, um, you know, that, that, that serving God is, is too much hard work, Jesus says, actually, you've got the wrong assessment of the situation. Like Martha, his yoke is easy, his burden is light, he can bring you peace, he can bring you rest. And as Rob said, you know, the Holy Spirit, if you hold out your wings, he lifts us up. Like, like, um, that, that's a quote from Isaiah 40. Even youths grow, grow, um, grow faint and weary. Older people, even youths grow faint. If you're feeling, and you can, you have to self-identify, um, I wouldn't want to offend anyone, but if you're feeling, I'm getting old, and this is getting harder, actually, not easier. Jesus says, even youths get weary. Even youths get weary and tired. But those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Maybe you need to repent of self-sufficiency. Maybe you've been distracted. Maybe you need to repent for dishonouring your father and accusing him of not caring. Maybe you haven't let Jesus be Lord of a part of your life. Maybe you haven't let Jesus be Lord of all of your life. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you need to say to Jesus, be Lord. Be Lord of my life. Maybe you've been comparing yourself to others. You know, if, if you have, then there's grace here. There's grace here. I'm just going to pray for us. You want to hold out your hands. Holy Spirit, Thank you that um, we're not called to walk alone, Lord, but that grace which um, was poured out on us at the cross um, goes with us. It's the same grace that empowers our lives. It's the same grace that, um, that leads us, that empowers us, that um, provides us with all we need for life and godliness. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're at work in our lives. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're working in this church. Thank you that you, um, you've called us as a people to a great vision. It's your vision, Lord. Lord, and we say we want to participate with you. We want to join with you, Lord, but we don't have, we don't have the audacity to think we can do it alone. Lord, we need you. Holy Spirit, won't you come? Holy Spirit, for each one of us, for those that are tired, for those that are weary, lift them up even now. Holy Spirit, lift them up. Refresh. Refresh them, Lord. Refresh them. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, show us again how much you care. Lord. Thank you, Lord. You, when you corrected Martha, you were so gentle and brotherly. Martha, Martha. Lord, I thank you that you're not here, Lord, across angry, but you're just, you're just whispering our name, encouraging us forward. You want to nourish us. You want to fill us afresh. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Just come now. Lord, to each one of us, strengthen us. Lord, we want to serve you. We want to serve you in our generation. We don't want this, gener- this time to pass by, Lord, 
and for us not to have accomplished all the work that you have for us. Lord, we want to serve you in our generation. So we need you, Holy Spirit. We need your power. We need your strength. Lord God, I pray, Lord, that as we go from this day, Lord, that whatever we do to serve, Lord, we do it in your strength. We'll do it with your resources, I pray. In Jesus' name. And the God who is able, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Be blessed. Amen.